Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I want to go ahead and plug a local GoFundMe that if you have a few extra bucks this holiday season, I know times are tight, but uh, maybe consider kicking a few dollars to erase some student lunch debt that a comrade of mine is doing. Here's the uh, GoFundMe description. Some of you may remember back in 2019 for the holidays, I decided to help my former middle school erase their student lunch debt. Over the course of four days, we were able to raise almost $800, which helped dozens of students and their family have one less thing to worry about over the holidays. Thank you to everyone who donated. Well, we're back at it now that student lunches are once again no longer free. Between the beginnings of the recession and inflation wrecking havoc, the amount has more than doubled. We have until 12 13 to raise it so I can get the check into my contact at the middle school before the end of the semester. So if you feel like donating, to the cause or sharing the fundraiser to spread the word we'd be forever grateful let's get to it so i happen to know this organizer and i know they do great work in the community and i have the utmost trust in them and this effort so again if you've got a few extra bucks to spare to help strike student lunch debt definitely kick it and the link for that gofundme is located in the episode description so, yeah, check it out. Anyway, here's the show. The best part of doing a podcast is when I have more opinions that'll fit in one episode, I can always do another one. As in the case today, I'm. it's been a few days since the last episode. There's been some developments on the railway strike. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But first off, welcome to Red Leg Revolution, a show about community. I'm C-Dubs, your host, and today we're, again, kind of going off the cuff. I did find out that I cannot open up research on my computer while I'm recording for some reason, and I'm not sure why, so I'll try to work on this, but I am going to have to kind of pull from memory here, because I'm also actually trying to put content up on the new Patreon, so I'm actually taping myself doing this so my phone is also out of commission so instead i'm just gonna talk and of course i am happy for corrections y'all know where to find me or if you don't this happens to be the first time you've ever heard this show uh, i will tell you where to find me at the end in the meantime you just gotta be patient homies again no script so i gotta roll while i got the feeling you know so anyway the railroad strike So, as I was talking about in the last episode, Congress and Joe Biden intervened and they split the package or the laws that would end the strike into two separate packages, one of which was a pay raise that barely keeps up with inflation. And they busted off the sick days into a whole nother package of law they were trying to get passed. From what I understand, that law was just literally the sick days, no riders, anything. So Congress and Biden and the Senate passed the law that gave them the pay raise and also basically said, y'all are going back to work no matter what. I believe that they basically said it will be illegal for you to strike in that bill. So 
then the and Biden signs it, passed both houses. So they're like, "Yay, the rail strike's been averted. Biden's a good president. Congress did something." Meanwhile, the other bill, the bill that included sick days, which were the things that they were primarily striking for, as we talked about in the last episode, the incredible stress that railroad workers are under, the fact they're on call 24-7, their shifts often bleed into multiple days, they don't have any type of consistency in hours, they get penalized if they have to take time off to go to the doctor or even if they have an emergency and have to go handle it they can't get approved time off which is why the sick day thing was so important they're just asking for some basic life balance work-life balance so the house passed it and it died in the senate and nobody is surprised that it died in the senate Number one, the Democrats don't have the majority. They would want to push that through. But you also have to remember that the Democrats include people like Manchin, who are Republicans, who are working double operative into the Democrat Party, and then all the Republicans in the Senate because, you know, Democrats suck at actually doing anything for the people and getting that to translate into senators during the election season which is why they don't have a good majority, because they failed on so many fronts. I digress. Anyway, a lot of Republicans, too, hate unions. A lot of them want to destroy unions, so of course they weren't going to support this. They supported the other ones, so they could say, look, we, we helped avert a rail strike, bipartisanship. But everybody knew that wasn't going to pass the Senate. And honestly, I think if it had, I don't think Biden would sign it. Because, again... Joe Biden is not a friend of labor. Joe Biden is a straight-up enemy to labor. So as of now, theoretically, the railroad workers are supposed to go back, you know, go back to work. And at the same time, um, there's still railroad workers and railroad unions who are like, no, we're going to strike because we didn't get our sick days, which was the one thing we were trying to do. And so here, here's some brief union education. I figure y'all probably know this if you're a regular listener to the show, but on the off chance that I am actually educating somebody, which is possible. I, I looked at my metrics the other day, and I, I have some younger folks who listen. So, you know, shout out to my little comrades coming up in the world and doing good work. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so, yeah, some basic union education without getting too deep because I don't have my research. So certain types of strikes are illegal to start with because of an act which I'm blanking on from like the 50s. I think it was the Taft-Hartley Act. But anyway, look it up. But it said secondary strikes were illegal. A secondary strike is where, like, for example, you would strike any business that was handling freight for the railroads. You're not directly striking the railroads, but you're helping further gum up the supply chain and putting pressures on the bosses of all industries. So secondary strikes have been outlawed. You cannot do an actual legal strike at secondary businesses, but what you can do is a type of informational strike, which is a whole different thing. So technically, for, for legal purposes, your your main objective is to educate. So. Besides that, there are certain 
industries such as firemen, fuck them, or no, not firemen, don't fuck the firemen, firemen are awesome, I love firemen, mad respect to our firemen, police, fuck them, firemen, you rock, no offense, I'm very sorry, thank you for saving my house when I was 13, so, but yeah, firemen, police, teachers, um, air traffic controllers now, so there are certain industries that are not allowed to strike. Quick side note, police unions are not unions and police are not workers. Police are foot soldiers of the oligarchs and we do not like them. I just bring them up because in a lot of cities they're not legally allowed to strike. So there's different types of strikes that are illegal and different types of strikes that, that can get you in trouble theoretically. So also there are strikes that are illegal within unions, okay? Like unions are supposed to be a collective and even though unions nowadays are more business oriented with a kind of a representational democracy thing working in the form of a, a executive board and such, unions often say we will strike like this, not like that. For example, when I was a carpenter, I went to an informational strike because um, there was a certain contractor who was paying union, was a union member and paying union scale in St. Louis, but was not doing so for their new job on the plaza. So they talked about it at the union meeting. We're like, hey, if anybody wants to go down there and help with the picket, go on down there. So we went down there for the informational picket. That's the difference. It's a picket, not a strike. So we went down there and I brought my guitar as I tend to do for all the picket lines and protests I've been to. I usually bring a musical instrument, passes the time, amps everybody's spirits, we have fun. So I was standing on the corner playing Tom Morello's union song and a car full of business agents pulls up and is like, yo bro, you gotta put that guitar away. And I was like, what, why? And they're like, well, we're trying to draw attention but not that much attention. And I was like, wait, what? Isn't, isn't that the point of an informational picket to draw attention and educate? But I did what I was told. I wasn't trying to rock the boat and all that, but I kind of feel like that's a good example of how unions themselves police their own work stoppages and are not fond of people stepping out of line and going maverick and kind of doing their own thing. I bring all this up because if you have a strike that is not sanctioned by your union and is completely organic of the workers, that is called a wildcat strike. Wildcat strikes can be strikes. I mean, hence it's right there in the name. But they can also be various types of other work stoppages. Like if a friend gets fired for an unjust reason at a job and everybody else quits, that's a wildcat action. Nobody organized it. If there was a union, they'll probably get mad at you and you'll have to come back and do paperwork and stuff like that. So the railroad workers are looking at potentially doing a wildcat strike, which the four unions who didn't sign on to the package initially are kind of getting behind. I believe one of them's the railroad workers union. So we're still staring down a strike and right before the holidays, and as I was talking about earlier, it could really hurt the economy, which is awesome. So, so that's the overview, and I've got a few other subjects that I kind of want to touch on 
growing out of that. Number one is how the media has been covering all this. And with the exception of left-leaning outlets like Jacobin, all the headlines I've seen have been phrased as worker strike will hurt the economy, worker strike will hurt the economy, workers ask for sick days, it'll hurt the economy. And none of them are framing it where Warren Buffett, BNSF, that's the railroad he he owns. I was writing another podcast script for a different episode and had to research that. But I remembered, go me. So it's never framed as Warren Buffett refuses to give sick leave or railroad workers work deadly hours and don't get sick leave or workers standing up for what they deserve. No, all the major news media frames it as the workers being greedy and the workers are the ones who are going to destroy Christmas. Huh. I wonder if my War on Christmas group got a hold of them and there's a secret deal I don't know about. So it's never framed as it's the rich people who are gumming up the economy. And I really feel like that's a problem. We've seen in culture this rightward shift in the past 30 years. And I think it's really evident in news media, particularly the uh, old school legacy media companies, where there is a very clear bias and it's getting further and further right. And media is insidious. I'm aware of this, both as a consumer and producer of media. There's so much media, including this show, that is aimed to sway your line of thought one way or another. The difference between me and a lot of different other types of media, and there's a lot of other good podcasts and some great independent like print or uh, online media out there, they'll tell you that we have a bias and we have an agenda and make it pretty clear what they're trying to do versus the print media who have this legacy, the fourth estate and such, that they're always going to be impartial and it's going to be honest and good reporting. And before Reagan, yeah, fuck Ronald Reagan. Yeah, let's take a minute to imagine Ronald Reagan in hell. And uh, yeah, while you do that, I think I'm going to run some ads. And when we get back, we will talk some more about this. All right, ads. Hey, capitalism sucks, but Revolution Records, Kansas City's old school record and bookstore, is part of my community. When I'm in Kansas City and need a book or a copy of a local band's album, I go to Revolution Records. Revolution has a great selection of posters, books, records, tapes, and zines. Plus, they repair music and sound gear. That's pretty dope. Most importantly, Revolution Records is part of the community beyond being a small business. The staff does a great job maintaining an inclusive, accepting, and respectful atmosphere, and they also are active in making Kansas City a better place. Community fundraisers, workshops, events, and meetings all have taken place at Revolution Records, and that's just the stuff I was involved in. So the next time you need a new record to spin or your speaker breaks, go check out Revolution Records, located 1830 Locust Street, Kansas City, Missouri, or at revolutionrecordskc.com. Who's got two thumbs, a deep abiding love for his community, and a brand spanking new Patreon page? This guy and this show 
Red Leg Revolution now has a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com backslash redlegpod. Become a monthly supporter and help us support the community. Monthly supporters get benefits like early access to episodes, bonus episodes specifically for patrons, and maybe even some video of me doing this thing right now that I'm doing with my hands that you're not seeing because it's an audio podcast. So, if you want to help support me so I can help support the community, check out patreon.com backslash redlegpod. After all, our only hope is each other. Deep in the swamps of Florida. Honey, is that a new plant? He dwells, waiting. Where did those seeds come from, honey? Silently. Oh my god, what is that thing? Sending seeds and stickers across the country. Ah! And spreading solidarity. Have you lost your mind, honey? We can't move to a sustainable commune in upstate New York. What's wrong with you lately? There's no stopping him. The mighty skunk ape is on Facebook and he's on a mission. Anarchy! No! Coming to a post office box near you, the Skunk Ape Liberation Union. And we're back. So, I hope you all took a minute at some point during those wonderful groups that I work with. uh, As they advertise their product, I hope you took a minute to imagine Ronald Reagan burning in hell because you'll see that name's coming up a lot in this particular episode. So besides breaking the air traffic controller union, Ronald Reagan also ended the fairness doctrine, which was a FCC rule that if you presented one side of something, you had to present the other side. So people wouldn't do stories like, you know, why Nazism is good or why Nazism is even bad, because then they'd have to get a comment from a Nazi, and they didn't, they didn't want to talk to Nazis. So Reagan ended the Fairness Doctrine. We got things like Fox News, and since then, we've just seen this drift in our news reporting to be anti-worker as the media becomes more and more just a mouthpiece for the you know three media companies that own them. And as we know... <clears throat> Billionaires have class solidarity. They have a vested interest in helping each other out because what affects one affects others. This railway strike is a great example of that. I'm sure that there's been, well, I know that there's been lobbying from all sorts of billionaires against the whole concept of unions, right to work laws, stuff like that. And that is done with the explicit intent to undermine unions so when they come to this type of industry those unions are too weak to do anything these are also different billionaires that own the media that is reporting on this stuff and they stick together they know that somewhere somewhere in our economy in our industry in our society there is a linchpin right And it's probably in logistics. It's probably the trains or truckers. That's just my guess. But there's a linchpin industry that when it decides it's had enough, 
a lot more people are going to rise up and we will see our economy and our kind of society really be stunted and that's going to bother these billionaires who have this ridiculous belief in infinite growth like everything though they're going to keep getting money yada yada it's yeah it's messed up and so this is kind of a point of intersectionality because here we are talking about how media presents things and you can't really talk about that without talking about income inequality workers rights stuff like that it's all tied together and that's kind of why when I talk a lot on this show about mutual aid, dual power, solidarity, it's because that all ties together. And I think it's really important that when we view everything, we can't view it as an individual piece. We have to view it as a part of a puzzle and try to understand how, okay, yeah, we could fix this. Okay, talk in unions back when unions were getting strong in America, back in you know the late 1800s, 1900s, there were a lot of unions that wouldn't allow African-American people. So it was a short-term win for a small part of the segment, but it was actually undermining worker, worker power because then African-American people, black people, justifiably were like, well, we tried to do worker solidarity, so we still need jobs, and they would go across the picket line. There were some notable African-American unions that were founded for African-Americans. The Pullman Union was predominantly African-American, at least the uh, Steward Union, because that was an African-American staffed job. Also, I'm not sure which term is proper, whether it's in when I'm speaking, if it's, I should be saying black or African-American. I'm, I would love to be corrected on that. I, I, I'm sorry. I realize that that's a, a microaggression and I would like to change it, but I kind of need to know. I can't make that call. I'm, I'm Lily White. Anyway, so intersectionality is so important when we look at things. And I feel like, personally, that's one of the reasons I am so, so amped up for labor struggle. Because labor struggle involves us all. There's no dividing us any further than are you a worker or are you not. And of course, this is important to note again. A worker is anybody who's not a boss. So it doesn't matter if you're able to go out and have a regular job or if you're differently able, disabled, and you stay home. You're still part of the working class. And so we all have to work. And it's important to remember the notions of solidarity that should be inherent to any labor organizing like the idea of excluding people because of their race or their gender or their sexuality is ridiculous to building actual worker power because for worker power to work, it's collective. You have to have a collective for it to be collective. So yeah, it's, it's something that we can do. It's attainable. 
And we just have to make sure to understand that in order to build that worker power, we also have to build solidarity in other ways. We have to make sure that our our oppressed comrades know that we have their back by doing actual pragmatic action for them. We have to make sure that we have good solid networks of mutual aid so that we can provide actual material security to people when they need it. Because if people know that they can supply or support, they are supported by their mutual aid networks when they're not striking, then they have a lot more faith in striking because they know at least their basic needs will be met. Yeah. So mutual aid is the underpinning of any type of labor action. So it's important to participate in that too, even when there's not stuff going on. So yeah, I also want to talk about Joe Biden because, you know, I was forced to vote for him. He hasn't done literally anything for me since his student loan dealio was so poorly thought out that it was able to get shot down, at least temporarily. So I just wanted to talk a bit about how Biden, again, it's, I, I, I went over some of this in the last episode, is a friend of labor, yada, yada. It's all bullshit, okay? Biden had, well, number one, could have stayed out of this even though it is a matter of national importance because the rails are the backbone of our logistical system, but Biden could have stayed out of it, which, again, wouldn't be advisable. But what he should have done was came in on the side of workers. Like like I was saying earlier, there's, there's so much money that these billionaires who own the railways already have. It's not going to be any skin off their nose to give sick time, paid or not. And the reason I read one thread on Twitter that was a railroad worker and like so many other industries, even before the pandemic, the railroads were short-staffed. Why were they short-staffed? Because they do the whole skeleton bare bones model. No backup, everybody's working long shifts, doing the jobs of two, three people. And then, of course, there's the regular conditions of the job, from what I understand. It was bad pay, no sick days, bad culture. It, it wasn't safe. So the railroads made the staffing issues that they're now complaining about. And we see that in every other industry. So Joe Biden could have totally been like, yo, you guys made your bed, sleep in it, or on the workers' sides, or my preferred, and I realize this is a pipe dream, this wouldn't have been something Biden could have done executively and there's no way in hell it would have passed the Senate, but could have nationalized the railroads. I mean, maybe I'm a communist, but it seems to me that certain industries that are vital to our nation's security and infrastructure, such as railroads, the internet, our fuel systems, Things that literally any one of these things can be taken out by a billionaire or a foreign country and we're crippled, like, that's not not cool. And maybe it would be best if the government was in charge of this and making sure that these services are available and secure, both financially and within whatever other powers the government has. 
So I think that maybe we should nationalize the railroads. And there's honestly a very good historical precedent for it. As you all know, I write Westerns and I read a lot of Western American Western history books. And one thing that comes up time and time again when you talk about the laying of the Intercontinental Railroad is how the government subsidized all of it. The government also was cheated out of so much money that they could have paid for the railroad twice over because of robber baron railroad owners. So it's already the people's railroads. We gave all sorts of land. We provided tax breaks and incentives, bonuses to build the railroad. There are railroads and it's not, it's not a unethical thing to be like, hey, we built these, we maintain them, maybe the nation should be the ones in charge of taking care of them. So I'd like to see that happen. And I think the last thing I really want to touch on, and I'm kind of sad that I don't have my phone available to do the research because I don't know as much about this as I would like to, despite my union education. So there was a major railroad strike at the end of the 1800s, and I believe it was the Pullman strike. I could be wrong, but I believe it was the Pullman strike. So the Pullman strike was a bunch of African-American porters who struck for better pay, you know, being treated like humans in antebellum South, and they... Oh, sorry, had to stretch there. And they they struck and managed to build some solidarity with a bunch of other unions so that the entire railroad struck and shut down. It got to the point where, like, the porters refused to unload any any type of, of uh, cargo from any train that was pulling a Pullman car. So that's kind of a secondary strike-type situation. And that actually was the main reason the federal government was able to set a precedent of in uh, getting involved in strikes because they said that the strikers would not were refusing to unload the mail which is interfering with the postal service which is a federal crime now for the record the strikers made it very clear that they were letting the mail pass like they would unhook pullman cars and let the mail through because they're workers they like their mail Anyone with an ounce of sense should like the post office. And if you have any complaints about the post office, I urge you to f- actually look into what DeJoy has been doing to it. I have a lot of friends who are mail carriers, and the post office is one of our best institutions. It's just ineffective thanks to underfunding and straight-up malarkey by Republicans and Trump-appointed DeJoy. Anyway, side note. So they were letting the mail through. And the government was like, yo, this ain't going to fly, and got involved and broke the strike on behalf of the bosses, as the government is wont to do. So that's really a good example. It's what we're looking at here, or potentially. It's a good example of secondary strikes. It's a good example of solidarity throughout industry. It's a good example of intersectionality and how important it is to cross barriers to be able to work as as one class as the working class together and 
<clears throat> I'm putting this onus more on privileged people such as myself to do so. I do not presume to tell any marginalized person how they should interact with people who are marginalizing them. But at the same time, just something to consider when you're considering how to deal with things. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on this as it develops. I may actually, this may be the first major thing that I keep up with, at least to, to kind of, for my, for my own records and stuff. So, yeah, I probably have other things to say, but at this point, I feel like I am just repeating myself. So, Thanks for listening. You are listening to Red Leg Revolution, a show about community. You can find us on Facebook at Red Leg Revolution, YouTube, Red Leg Revolution. I will probably have a video up for this episode on YouTube after it's been on Patreon for a week or so. So, yeah, YouTube. We are still on the flaming bird that is Twitter. Uh, Red Leg Pod, and I believe that is actually the Patreon address is at Red Leg Pod. So I'm actually putting content up there. Uh, it's even in the past few days I've I've started to put stuff up there, and I remembered to tape this episode to put up there. So yeah, check it out. Maybe become a monthly donor and see some cool shit uh, like my cats and my Christmas tree. So. All right, this is Red Leg Revolution. Support your local mutual aid projects. Donate to the strike funds. Even if the strike hasn't been called yet, just Google railroad strike, strike funds, and they will uh, give you an idea where to go. Even, again, even if they're not striking yet, they're building up a war chest. The more money they have, the more secure they are in striking for better conditions for all of us. So y'all should go do that. And remember, our only hope is each other. I'm out. Peace. Choo-choo. Fuck Joe Biden. Strike breaking scab piece of shit. This has been a production of 419 Media.